Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? How did the internet or the algorithm choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. From iHeart Podcasts. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. A story about money, power, and corruption. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. I'm Paul Pringle, an investigative reporter for the LA Times. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. John Stewart is back in the host chair at The Daily Show, which means he's also back in our ears on The Daily Show Ears Edition podcast. Join late night legend John Stewart and the best news team for today's biggest headlines, exclusive extended interviews, and more. Now, this is a second term we can all get behind. Listen to The Daily Show Ears Edition on the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Cool Zone Media. What's losing my civil war? I don't know. I don't know, guys. Oh, yes. I don't know. I, I didn't know how to. I've got. I've got one for part four. I promise you. Okay. I've got one for part four, but I didn't have one for part three. Uh, this is oh, Behind the Bastards, a podcast about Robert E. Lee for the last. Yeah week or so. Uh, Mr. Silver Metal Head Ass. (laughs) Let's give him, I'll give him a bronze, right? Give me a bronze, dude. One of my favorite moments in history was the first time I got to go to Crow Nation, Montana, the like little bighorn Mm -hmm. sitting bull um, monument. And they had this whole thing for General Custer, like this whole statue for, and I'm looking at him and I'm like, this is a second place trophy. Uh huh. That yeah. man lost. Like yeah, participation. You, get, you award. get statues for losing. Like yeah. Anyway, I also on a separate note, I think it's funny that we we ever give out bronze medals because like man, gold obviously precious, yeah. never tarnishes. Silver a lot harder to tarnish, also pretty precious. And then bronze. Yeah. Like come on, guys. Bronze, Why are we doing this? We stopped using that shit for swords like two thousand yeah. years ago. Yeah. That's a it's bullshit. Even, it's metal. named an age. Yeah, like it means a time. Yeah, the yeah. bronze age, which Fucking means trash ass over. metal. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll give we'll give Robert E. Lee a bronze medal. He's a uh, bronze. Welcome, welcome back to the show, everybody. My guest again, Jason Petty, aka Prop. Uh, in our first two episodes, we established the background and life of Robert E. Lee. In part two, we talked about some pretty fucking unpleasant stuff. And today, we're we're answering the question. We're getting into kind of the critical moment of, of yeah. Bobby Lee's life, right? Which yeah. is his decision to become a traitor, to yeah. uh, go back on his uh, oath to the United States and his yeah. oath of, of loyalty in service to the military, uh, and become a fucking traitor. So that's that's what we're talking about today. I don't think he's a Bobby. I think he's a Robbie. 
You think he's a Robbie? We're going yeah. Robbie instead. Well, We're going Robbie I, instead because I like to call you Bobby E and I don't want to. Yeah, but I hate being called that. Yeah, but that's what's fun about <laughs> it. And I don't want th- the association. So I think he's a Robbie because he's also he, he robs. He sucks. He does. He does suck. It's, and it couldn't be it couldn't be a better time to talk about this, especially with what's going on in the Supreme Court about like, yes. hey, what is. What is treason? What is treason? What's a traitor? Yeah. This law only applies to everyone except for the highest office. I'm sorry, yeah. what? Yeah. Well, with Robert, it's at least a a clearer case of treason. Pretty clear. Because yeah. there's really there's really no other way to look at this. But yeah, we do I don't know, get... buddy. This <laughs> Article three is about you, fam. Yeah. This this law exists because of y'all. It it's not yeah. a hard question, like no. as to whether or not this guy's <laughs> guilty. And it's one of those things where Within kind of the Lost Cause mythology and within all of like the coverage of Lee's life that's sort of influenced by Lost Cause shit, this always still gets softened. It's weird. We have this like hatred in the United States of actually calling traitors traitors if they're like white conservatives. Yeah. And that does actually extend to Bobby Lee. Like I just said, it was very clear, but people still do this shit. And to kind of make that case, I'm going to start again by reading from our huge head on the cover children's book, Who Was Robert E. Lee? (laughs) Which I'm giving these books some shit. They're actually not that bad. There's actually a decent amount of really good historic information. And they come across as like pretty negative towards the Confederacy. Why I keep bringing them up is because they still include these bits, like like this one, where where they're they're introducing the concept of like the Civil War war that we had that killed about a million people and Robert's participation in it. And this is how they describe it. Robert grew up with a great love for his country. Yet in 1861, the country he so admired was torn apart by the start of the Civil War. Robert was torn too. He wanted the country to remain united. He did not want the South to break away from the United States and form a separate country. But that is what happened. And what they're doing there, they're using that like special exonerative yeah. case of like English grammar that you normally use for police or the IDF, yeah. where it's like yeah. the country was torn apart. Listen, who yeah. who tore it apart? Yeah. Guys. Who made that decision? <laughs> Why was it torn apart? You know? Yeah. It's like, exactly it's like that. yeah, yeah, yeah. A exactly kid in that. Chicago walked into a police officer's bullet. Like, yeah. how yeah. did that happen? Yeah. yeah. Exactly um, that. And I'm like, yeah. dude, just hearing them say it, it's like, I made the mistake because, again, the child of a rather militant man, that I thought your children need to know as quick as possible when they ready to know the world they about to step into. Uh So I had no problem. (laughs) I feel terrible about it now. Showing my third grade daughter images of the Middle Passage. and. What the uh, what slave ships and how it looked and how we was laid out. I had no problem showing her this. My wife was like, Jason, she's eight years old. Maybe there's a more sanitized way to reveal this truth to her. And I was like, it's not sanitized. You can't clean up evil. (laughs) Right. So I was like, no, you got to tell him, you know, now second time around having another child. I was like, yeah, there's probably a probably an age appropriate way to like lay out this, you know? So I'm saying that to say in, on one hand, the big head books is like, this is for children. There's gotta be a more age. There's gotta be an age appropriate way to say what's going on. Mm-hmm. I, my argument is, I don't know if that's what they doing though. Like that's more lost causey yeah. than sanitized way to do it. You know? 
Yeah, yeah, it, it really is. And I, I, I'm frustrated by this, but it also, it, it's so consistent among the way people talk yeah. about Lee. Um, yeah. And I, I go, you know, there is one thing I do kind of, I think is appropriate about this, although I don't think it means to be, which is one of the ways you do have to look at, from the perspective of people like Lee, and Lee is, he's going to be an active player, obviously, in yeah. the treason of the South, but he's not up until the point that, secession crisis starts, right? He's not Mm -hmm. a guy who's in politics. He's not a guy who's advocating for secession prior to that. And for people like him, which is most of the country, I think there is actually a little bit in the way in which all of this comes on like a storm, like a weather pattern. And I think that those of us sitting in the country right now watching shit escalate to who knows what the fuck's going to happen later this year with the election, we can, you can to some extent empathize with like, yeah, these massive civil conflicts that up to a certain point, it's a small chunk of the country that's actively ratcheting things towards calamity. Yeah. And for the rest of us trying to just trying to make rent, trying to like live your life, it does feel like a fucking storm hitting. Right. Yeah. I don't say that to take any agency away from him, but I I did. I found myself kind of torn between those two things. Right. Where I was just like, true. I do kind of feel like that sometimes like it's yeah. a weather pattern that just moved in and you have to just kind of brace for it. Bro, I feel um, you, man. Yeah. Even, when we get into the Lost Cause episodes, the I, I, man, I, I keep coming back to this, but the more that I say it, as much as I am a victim of that shit, it is. It's so human, mm-hmm. like the way that. The, it snowballed into being what it it's become. It's a human. And then if you're not one of the creators of it, it's yeah. just, you're just, I, you just happen to live in yeah. Tuscaloosa. You know what I'm saying? You're just like, I, I mean, the, yeah, the, just, this is the air we breathe. You know, yeah. it's so human. Yeah. Yeah. Which, and that's kind of the only bits from Lee that are a little bit understandable where he's writing yeah. back to his family as like stuff is is escalating towards open violence and is like, yeah, I can't believe this is happening. Like, why? Yeah. Why is no one stopping this? Yeah. Where it's like he's on the wrong side of it. But that basic that basic emotion of like, how the fuck is this happening? I do yeah. actually understand to a degree. Of like, course. Yeah, it's just it, it. It's one of those things. I, I'm reading right now the book Nixon Land again, which mm-hmm. which c- covers like this massive period, this this very undercover period in U.S. history where all there was this uh, uh, unbelievable wave of violence towards the anti-war movement. People yeah. assassinated and murdered for handing out pamphlets against the Vietnam War in the streets. That happened over and over again, mm-hmm. and. There's almost a degree which it's comforting, not because that's good, because it's terrible that that happened, but because when I hear about the wave of violence that's hitting us now, particularly over like the the anti-war in Gaza movement, just to yeah. know that like, all right, well, this isn't a historic novelty. Yeah, this is not this a is something up. that happens again and again, you know. Um, yeah. And I guess just knowing people made it like went through that before yeah it's not good but it is like okay we're not living in unprecedented times exactly anyway so in other words while lee is going to exercise a huge amount of agency from kind of the start of hostilities on afterwards he is kind of carried along by the tide of history in the couple Mm -hmm. of years prior to things uh and he's going to spend the lead up to the 1860 election actually in san antonio watching the democratic party shatter in the face of lincoln's campaign and this debate over what to do about slavery. And it's this very interesting moment where he is like put into conflict with secessionists. We don't, yeah. I, I, this isn't a really a period of Lee that I thought about, but like he is a federal officer 
in a state that is actively preparing to secede. And he becomes the target of secessionist anger, right? Because he's this representative of the federal government that he's going to wind up fighting against. But that hasn't happened yet. And Mm -hmm. so it puts him in this very conflicted position. The New York Times, kind of echoing Lee's own thoughts in this period, writes that extremists in the Democratic Party were delighted at the idea of a Lincoln victory, quote, which will give them an opportunity to rally the South in favor of disillusion. Mm. In other words, secessionists are being written about and discussed by the centrists of the day as much as accelerationists are today, right? Where there's this like attitude that, well, a lot of secessionists want Lincoln to win because they think it's going to inevitably provoke this conflict that we have to have, right? Um, And Lee is diehard against Lincoln, obviously, but he's and he's against Lincoln in part because he wants he thinks that like he he agrees with the accelerationists. Basically, he doesn't Mm. want. Lincoln to win like the accelerationists do, but he agrees that if Lincoln wins, the conflict is inevitable, right? There's this thing, like I'm thinking about, I get this, sometimes I get this like antsy feeling like it's it's very unique to my career, but like when you're backstage at like a big event or a festival or concert and you see all the wires, like all over there, like I'm like, I'm antsy that, I'm like, let's just get it over with and someone pull a cord. Yeah. Like just rip it up, <laughs> just get it over with. Like just somebody do it, somebody destroy it. Like, or like if, you know, or like some more violent stuff when you're just like, let's just fight. Let's just do it. Like waiting for it's worse. It's like, let's just, let's just fight. You know I mean, what I mean? It, yeah. If you, when you've been in a lot of violent situations, yeah. you understand this intimately, which is yes. that bra- bracing for impact is worse than impact. It's worse. Right. Yes. <laughs> yes. It's, it's more so stressful. Worse. It's not necessarily worse because you can die from impact. Yeah. But, it, it's but it's more thinking about it. Right. Yeah. Your, your fear. You're just like, I just let's just do it. Let's like, let's yeah. get it over with. You know, it's, the, it's yeah. the same reason most Americans are more scared of being on a plane than they are driving, even though you're a thousand times in more danger while driving. But you're in yeah. control of the car, at least yeah. theoretically, right? Yeah. Like now, realistically, are you in control of some drunk guy smashing into no, your fucking yeah. Miata? Yeah. No, of course not. But mm. in, in your head, at least, you're behind the wheel as opposed to sitting in a jet where you're much safer, but you have no agency on what's yeah. going to happen, right? Yeah. And that is that is like most of the country, including Robert E. Lee at this point. Yeah. And yeah. He, for him, it's the, it is particularly, I'm not trying to say like empathize with him, but you need to understand where his head is. Right after Lincoln wins, South Carolina authorizes a secession convention. And this really sparks secession fever across the South, where Lee is a federal representative. And he writes home to his family, the Lone Star is floating all over this state. As Texan independence becomes, the people are like putting up Lone Star flags around the fort that he's at, right? As And that's a threat, right? You know? Yeah, that's actually Texas kind of pretty poetic is, yeah. to say it like that. The Lone yeah. Star is floating all over the state. And I'm like, yeah. I hate I hate that that's kind of poetic, jerk. He's not a terrible writer. Most no. people were better writers back then because you kind of had to be. Yeah. Most people who could write. Yeah. The discourse around all this was as detached from reality as it is today, with one Texan paper shrieking, the North has gone overwhelmingly for Negro equality and Southern vassalage. Southern men, will you submit to this degradation? Oh, so, again, so it is about... Oh, whoa. Oh, yeah. So, oh, yeah. so it is about the, the Negro. Oh, oh, for sure. Yeah. You just. They, there was no debate about that at the time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So I'm like, so it's about. So it's about. Yeah. the. OK, got it. Yeah. Yeah. It really is some like white lives matter shit, right? Very much um, so. Yeah. yeah. And 
So by December, Texas has started its own secession convention. And Lee, when this happens, he writes home to his wife and he's basically like, yeah, if they secede, I will head home. You know, I will I will like return. Uh, I promise. And he's it's because she's worried he's going to get killed by some Texans. You know, that's that's not an unrealistic threat. It started in Fort Sumter, but it could have started in Texas. It really could. There's no reason for it not to have, you know. Um, Yeah. And so while Lee is in conflict with the secessionists at this point, he's also it's also very clear from his letters that he was open, even at this early stage, to the idea of fighting against the United States and breaking his oath. He expressed to his wife a desire to fight under no other flag than the Star-Spangled Banner, but he also said, I would fight in defense of Virginia. And, and what else could that mean but secession, yeah, totally. right? Yeah. And it's this... I, the fact that he always phrases it that way is evidence of a kind of wishy-washiness that is belied by his claims to be anti-secession. Because yeah. he, while secessionists are preaching nothing but revolution, um, and he says, like, I think that's irresponsible, but he also consistently says, I would fight in defense of Virginia. He just doesn't have the courage to admit, I am, in fact, willing to secede. Yeah, you came in. You know? uh, yeah, yeah. And just, just say it, bro. Like, it is what it yeah. is. And maybe it's like... Yeah, like the, not to give him any grace, but yeah, just the piece of him that's like, still kind of think this is stupid, but yeah. I'm definitely down. So it, like, this I, is the I, way I can make my brain get around it. Yeah, I, I kind of have more respect for that, like random, those like assholes in the Texas paper who are like, this is a war for white equality and we'll yeah. fight it. Because at least they're like, yeah, you're, you're, you're being honest about yeah. what you're willing yes. to do, you know? This is what we're like, doing. Lee is just kind of pussyfooting around it. Um, And and this continues. This is like a Lee family tradition because Fitzhugh Lee's book, which I've quoted from several times, written in, I think, 1896, makes it clear that Lee's decision to join the Confederacy wasn't just something he did because he felt there were no other options. It was based on his fundamental sympathy for the Southern cause, which is the cause of slavery. Mm -hmm. Lee wrote, Quote, the South, in my opinion, has been aggrieved by the acts of the North. As you say, I feel the aggression and I am willing to take every proper step for redress. It is the principle I contend for, not individual or private benefit. As an American citizen, I take great pride in my country, her prosperity and her institutions and would defend any state if her rights were invaded. And it's like. Yeah, no, you wouldn't. You, you're you not would gonna not. Def- you wouldn't you defend. Have. You would yeah. not defend a state in which slavery was illegal, or or if the Fugitive Slave Acts were forced on yeah. it, right? Which they were. You are not willing to actually defend any state. You're willing to defend states who want to have slaves. That's thought, what you're willing yeah, to defend. The thought yeah. hasn't crossed my mind till literally right now that mm-hmm. he could have fought for the Union. Yeah, that was an option. And in fact, Lee is a full bird colonel by the time the war starts. There were nine full bird colonels from Virginia at the uh-huh. start of the Civil War. Eight of them sided with the Union. Wow. <laughs> like, could Yeah. Yeah. That like that just knocked the wind out of all like, oh, yeah. no, nah, no, nah, like, fam. You all we'll, the homies we'll get did? more into that in a yeah, second. Yeah. OK. <laughs> yeah. I was like, so you tell me all the homies, all of them. Uh-huh. Yeah. You weren't like so you you going against the grain. So you standing mm-hmm. on your own going against the grain. Mm hmm. And that you had an option and you try so to tell key. me you was conflicted about this. Nah, it is, I don't know, as we'll get into, it's always portrayed as like, well, he just felt like he had no option. You know, once Virginia was involved, that's where his heart was. That's where he had to go. That's not true. Um, well, first of all, he lived in Texas. Number yeah. one. So, <laughs> first of all, he, yeah. we'll, we'll get to that. Too. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. 
11 states voted to secede from the union. They did so under declarations that the heart of the issue they were seceding over was slavery, right? South Carolina cited in their secession, and they're the first state to do it, cites in their secession declaration, an increasing hostility on the part of non-slaveholding states to the institution of slavery. In Mississippi's declaration of secession, they stated, quote, there was no choice less to us but submission to the mandates of abolition or a dissolution of the union, which is both untrue and what the whole crisis is about. Because like Lincoln, by the way, had absolutely no intention of ending slavery. Yeah, not right? at all. Yeah. There was a desire to stop the expansion of it to new states, right? Yeah. But like he he was not going like it's very clear. Moment, yeah. He, yeah, he was not willing to do that. Yeah. You know, he was not that based. Yeah. Now, it is worth noting that Lee's sympathy for the Southern cause still did not entirely at this point rule out the chance that he might fight for the Union. And in fact, if the war had started in Texas rather than at Fort Sumter, I think he probably would have sided with the Union purely because Lee is this kind of guy. Again, he is willing to eventually resign his commission and take up one in Virginia to fight for the Confederacy. But if secessionists had marched on the fort where he was stationed in Texas to try to mm-hmm. take their shit, he probably would have fought them. Purely probably because that was his job. it personal. Yeah, and like taking it personal. It was his job and like, yeah. How dare you? Fuck y'all doing? How dare y'all run yeah. up on me? You know, well, you know what? Because you running up on me. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. And, and that, that is kind of an interesting counterfactual. If he would have like wound up against yeah. his will fighting against who would yeah. have been the new, maybe Jackson or somebody yeah. who would have been the new Lee of the Confederacy. Yeah. No Stonewall. And it's interesting. Like, again, I don't give him like much moral credit for that, but I think it is a possibility for a while. Yeah. Um, however, fairly quickly, it becomes not possible because like not long after he writes, you know, some of these letters back to his wife, uh, he's relieved of duty at Fort Mason in San Antonio and sent to Washington to report to the head of the U.S. Army. His journey north was awkward, to say the least. The Texas Rangers were out in force and federal officials who were leaving Texas because this is he's part of kind of a flight where the government's mm-hmm. like, well, we should probably get our people out of here like this is yeah. this is there's a good chance this is gonna go <laughs> yeah, bad it's, it's, just, it's all bad um, y'all like they're yeah. not feeling this yeah he's not quite escorted under guard the entire way but he and the others who are kind of like bouncing are are watched pretty carefully and yeah. he's concerned enough for his safety that in short order when he starts his journey he changes into civilian clothes um mm. One colleague at the time claims that he, quote, declared that the position he held was a neutral one and that he intended to go home, resign from the army and plant corn. The website American Heritage writes, quote, when he drove away from Texas, a fellow officer called after him. Colonel, do you intend to go south or remain north? Lee stuck his head out of the covered wagon and replied, I shall never bear arms against the United States, but it may be necessary for me to carry a musket in defense of my native state, Virginia, in which case I will not prove recreant to my duty. In another moment of surprise, confliction, Lee confusedly declared, while I wish to do what is right, I am unwilling to do what is not, either at the bidding of the South or the North. So he just, he can't, he's just kind of a, kind of gormless. He can't make, take us, he's always saying, I will fight for the Confederacy if it comes to that, but he's also never willing to say, yeah, I'm willing to turn traitor. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. It, it is such a weasely thing for it's a man when, yeah, who's so it's when ga- snitches lauded and, for his courage. Yeah. yeah. It's when snitches and rats keep going. But I'm not a rat. I'm not a snitch. And I'm yeah. like, you're currently snitching at this very it, moment. Yeah. You are snitching. It's that like the makes difference between yeah. these January 6th 
insurrectionists who are like, oh, it was Antifa. I got tricked. It was just we were just yeah. sightseeing. And the ones who were like, yeah, it was an insurrection. And like, I'll go to prison. Yeah, if, that's the I, plan. Actually, I respect that. You know, yeah, that's the plan. They're, I, they're not good people. And I, I want I want them stopped. But like, yeah, of course, that is but, at least someone who's taking a stand and yeah, you got honest about the stand they're taking. Yeah, yeah. you got a code, man. I would say as a, as a as a side note for everybody's life kit, I think one of those things is, yes, you should have a code. There should be yeah. a there. Sh- you should all. And I don't I can't tell you what that code is, but you should all live by a code. To me, mm-hmm. one of one of my core values is I say what I mean. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? So that's like a code for me that like yeah. and you stand on business. If I said something and it was wrong, look, mm-hmm. I said it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Now it's time for me to be corrected. You feel me? Yeah. And I'm going to take react correction because I don't like being wrong. But yeah. another thing I've learned and and going back to something that Robert E. Lee did, which was like realizing when it was time to bounce. I think that that's also a skill every person should develop uh-huh. is being able to know when it's it's probably time to slide. We should probably leave right now. I say this in jest, but I'm dead serious. You should know when it's time to leave. Yeah, there, there's a good song about that and about poker. You know, you gotta gotta know yeah, when gotta to know hold when them to fold and know them. when to fold them. <laughs> you gotta right. know when to yeah. walk away. Know hey, when homie. to run. Yeah. <laughs> hey, homie, I think it's time for us to go. I don't yeah. care if you was in the middle of give, giving your best game to that cutie uh-huh. pie. Like, yeah. look, it's time to go, fam. That, you halfway through the greatest cocktail you ever had in your life. Sent that drink down. Mm-hmm. That, there's it's a good bit go. in heat about that too, right? If you're gonna be a fucking criminal, right? Yes, you have yeah. to have a line at which, like, no, I just bounce. I pick up my bag and I'm yeah, gone. Yeah, it's time to you go. Know? Yeah, yeah, it's time to fucking leave, just go. leave everything. Um, leave, leave it all. Time to go. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And Lee has now lived it all. I was yes. trying to make that work, but it it just it simply did not. Um, but you <laughs> know what does work? Prop. The sponsors of this podcast. They're always working hard to give you incredible value. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus, where every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who were they? What made them so notorious? Why did the internet choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? I'll be talking to internet historians, experts, and yes, the main characters themselves to get a fuller picture. Because I think that even outside individual experiences, a character of the day tells us something about how the internet worked at that time and how the attention economy developed into the freaky three-headed dragon it is today. Together, we probably won't be able to properly log out, but we can take a walk down scary internet memory lane and see one day a little more clearly. Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, Clay 
Washington comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Rosie, somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. It feels so good. It does. And like always, we'll be here every week covering the wide world of TV, movies, comics, and geek culture. That's right. We'll be talking about Batman, heroes of that stature, and of course, we'll be inviting our friends in the industry to come geek out with us and share stories. We'll hear from TV writers, from actors, comics creators, pop culture critics, and more. Nothing is off the table, because geek culture is pop culture, and we can't wait to share our love of it all with you every single week. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We're back. You know, I was thinking about what my line is, you know, yeah. wh- wh- where am I? And and honestly, I only have one moral line in my entire life, and it's that I will not sell baldness cures. You know, I, simply I respect won't do that, it. dude. Simply won't do it. Just be and honest. The, you know, And the truth is, like, dude, you're you you can look good bald. Like, I can mm-hmm. Google so many men who Patrick like, Stewart. They're good looking <laughs> men. Yes. Come on. Just commit. You, just commit, bro. Like mm-hmm. you look better. You can yeah. own it. Like, listen, it's it's almost seventy percent confidence. If you mm-hmm. just just rock it, whatever you have, rock it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's yes. uh, that's that's the message of this podcast. Yeah, it's all so, confidence. Lee comes back, returns to D.C., um, and he reports immediately to the commander of the U.S. Army at this point, General Winfield Scott, who had been his commander during the Mexican-American War. Scott Mm -hmm. is the guy who's like, Lee is the best soldier I've ever seen, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And by the way, Lee is pretty famous at this point, and there is huge buzz as it becomes clear that something – is going to happen that's probably going to require military intervention Whoa. as a result of this secession crisis. Also like crisis. LeBron James, like where are you yeah. going? Are you going to take your talents to Miami? Like who's he going to play with? Scott is too old. Everyone knows like, and Scott knows this too. Uh, uh, unlike today, old people back then were like, yeah. <laughs> Scott's like, yeah, I can't fight a war. Like yeah, not another one. Like <laughs> I'm ancient. Yeah. Oh no, guys, these knees ain't what they used to be. <laughs> um, and so there's a lot of talk that like, well, who should command whatever we wind up needing to do? And like Lee is kind of the front runner because he's like he's famous. Uh, Mm -hmm. He did really well in the Mexican-American War. He's a full bird colonel. So he's like right at the point where he could be promoted to general. So there's a lot of talk in the papers that like, well, this guy could be kind of the savior of the union. You know, he Mm. really has talked about that way for a Mm -hmm. while. And so he gets invited to Winfield Scott's office and Scott, and then there's a couple of different meetings, but the, the gist of these meetings is that Lee is offered the command of a U.S. field army. So that means a promotion to general. Uh, and this is what he's he's been waiting his whole career for years. Wow. He's been writing his wife letters being like, I don't think I'll ever get promoted. This is so annoying. Um, and he's offered the promotion of a lifetime. And this is kind Damn. of seen as a fast track to, well, yeah, there's a pretty good chance this, this in not too much longer leads with him just in command of the U.S. Army. Right. Yeah. He could have had Grant's job. Maybe he Damn. wouldn't have been good at it. I actually think he would have been bad at it. We'll, yeah. we'll get into that in part four. But he could have had it for a while. Right. Damn. So the most commonly depicted view at the, the heart of the lost cause is that he turns down this job because he simply couldn't bear to go to war with his home and his relatives. And like mm-hmm. that is not a good reason to support the Confederacy. But I actually will say I get how a 
decent person could say, I cannot yeah. participate in this war because I simply can't shoot at my brother or cousins, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like I that's that's understandable. I could see that. And then be like yeah. and also yeah. I find the cause of the South to be untenable. Sure. And but like, man, really like history really turns on these mm-hmm. like seemingly small decisions sometimes. Cause yeah. like that's a like you said, that's a very logical and understandable thing. And then but then if you're like you're like seventh generation war general going all the yeah. way back to like freaking norms like the the <laughs> yeah. founding of england you know what i'm saying and now probably the biggest war in the history of your country they giving you a chance to lead and you're just gonna sit out yeah it's like you can't you can't sit out it you know what i'm saying because then you just broke tradition yeah and he's he's not going to and i, I think that the, yeah. the the key point is that like this is portrayed as lee had to go with the south because he couldn't fight against virginia and he couldn't fight against his family and that is not true there were men who were in that position and there were some officers in the us army prior to the war who didn't fight at all because of mm-hmm. that right yeah they were like i can't do it and i i don't have an issue with that actually like i get it's like this is just an impossible choice for me i can't shoot my brother that's what i'm saying like it should have been if he's yeah. like if that was the case, that's what should have been. But I'm saying yeah. the wrinkle in his brain is like, well, I'm not going to be the first grandson <laughs> yeah. to not, you know what I'm saying? Like, I ain't going to break yeah. this tradition, you know? And, yeah. yeah, and he he doesn't. And here, I, I want to to give you kind of how these sympathetic sources tend to portray this decision. I want to quote from, again, who, who was Robert E. Lee describing his decision not to take this position commanding a U.S. field army. That would mean fighting against the South. Robert was a conflicted man. Clearly, he had a lot to think about. He spent time with his family at Arlington. He prayed. He stayed up late at night, pacing the floors. In the end, Robert reached an answer. He would resign from the U.S. Army that he had served for 30 years. Although he said he would never bear arms against the Union, his heart was with Virginia. He had to defend his homeland. By bearing arms against the Union, yeah, right? Yeah, that doesn't sound... Um, yeah, yeah that, that's, that sentence don't even sound right. Yeah. And also, side note, I feel like at some point you should be able to like slap the shit out of a cousin. Yeah. Well, and, you know yes, what I'm saying? At a certain this, point. this scenario is like, all right, I'm listen, let's go to Granny's house and let's hash this out. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm gonna sit all my uncles, all my cousins down and be like, fellas, y'all, like, listen, you're tripping. And if you can't cross this line, listen, I'm gonna sign up with the union. Cause like and, I'm telling you right now, you're tripping. And he, all right. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> this is, again, kind of what I'm building towards. He's going to make that decision one way or the other. The yes. idea that he wasn't willing to fight his family is untrue because yes. he does choose to fight members of his family. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the the summary of events from that Who Was Robert E. Lee book jives with one of the on-the-ground accounts from somebody who was present at some of these meetings with Lee and Scott and Lincoln, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Montgomery Blair, who's who's Lincoln's postmaster general, the guy who has been asked by Lincoln to like offer Lee command of the army. And his son would later recall, quote, General Lee said to my father, Mr. Blair, I look upon secession as anarchy. If I own the four million of slaves in the South, I would sacrifice them all to the Union. But how can I draw my sword upon Virginia, my native state? Now, this is, you know, from a secondhand source, but Blair will make some statements that back up this account of events and Lee's account of events. Mm-hmm. However, that's not necessarily the truth because we get a very different description of both the nature of the offer made to Lee and his response to it from Simon Cameron, who was okay. the Secretary of War under Lincoln and absolutely oh, would have been a part of dis- yeah. discussions with Lee from the jump. Mm-hmm. Quote, 
generally called upon a gentleman who had my entire confidence and intimated that he would like to have the command of the army. He assured that gentleman, who was a man in the confidence of the administration, of his entire loyalty, and his devotion to the interests of the administration and of the country. I consulted with General Scott, and General Scott approved of placing him at the head of the army. The place was offered to him unofficially, with my approbation, and with the approbation of General Scott. It was accepted by him verbally, with the promise that he would go into Virginia and settle his business and then come back to take command. He never gave us an opportunity opportunity to arrest him. He deserted under false pretenses. I should have arrested him in a moment if I had the chance at him, and I have always regretted that I never did get that chance. I think he behaved worse than any of the men who have acted so treacherously wow. to the government. And what so Blair's account Ooh. is that like, yeah, I offered him the job and he said I just can't do it. I can't fight against Virginia, which is like the common narrative. It's what yeah. you get for it, it, everything. What Cameron says is like, no, no, no. Lee I said, I want this job. Give it to me. We said, the job is yours. He said, I'll take it. And then he said, I just got to go back home and, and settle some, bitched some out. finance. Yeah. And he bitched out and, and turned yeah. traitor. And he did this. He lied to them to avoid getting arrested for treason. That's a really <sighs> fucking different story. What? Right? So yeah, yeah, that's, <laughs> yeah. that is and, some hoe ass shit. Yeah. Yeah. One of these shows a man torn by this, just the impossible choice yeah. to fight against your family and your state. The other shows a betrayer of his oath making a yeah. calculated decision, you know? Yeah. Um, we, and I will say, we simply don't know which of these stories comports more with reality, right? Yeah. We never will, you know? No. You get, there's actually, these are not even the only two accounts of that meeting. I think yeah. these are kind of the, the two one of these two is probably more right than the other. I will say I tend to believe what fucking Simon Cameron says because it comports with how weaselly Lee is yeah. about his description of all this. Yeah, and the path of least resistance. Like, yeah. you don't, like, no one wants that type of confrontation to have to, like, you know, grow some ovaries yeah. and be like, yo, this my, I'm gonna stand on business. This is what I'm gonna do. Thank you very much. I gotta ride with Virginia. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Or to be like, you know, dude, you're right. I'm going to do this. Let me at least look my family in the face and tell them what's going on. Because both of them requires a certain type of courage. Again, a code. It requires yeah. you to have a code to be able to be like, I'm just going to do it. And I'm going to take whatever consequences come with it. No, the path of least resistance is to lie. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Is to make y'all cool. Get out of this moment right now. And then which one of y'all I feel like are going to hurt me the worst, right? So, because if my family actually heard me say yes to them, right, they would have been like, stop acting. No, what do you mean? Just yes. And you can't be like, no, no, I'm just lying to them. Because mm. then they're going to look at you and be like, why are you being a coward about it? Like, stand up. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So he did the path of least resistance, which to me is the most normal thing. Yeah. And, and uh, in terms of backing up Simon Cameron's account, in, in his biography of Lee, Alan Guelzo notes that Lee has to have known secession was coming and have already made his choice to fight against the union. Otherwise, yeah. his actions here simply don't make any sense. Yeah. Quote, if Lee believed there would be no conflict, that some way would have been found to save the country from the calamities of war, then there would have been no risk in his mind that he would have to conduct any kind of hostile campaign campaign and certainly yeah. not against Virginia and the golden prize of his professional life would fall neatly into his lap. So again, if he, even mm. from this point, if he has not already made the decision to turn traitor, why would he turn down the promotion he'd already wanted? Right. Yeah. That actually makes so much sense. Like you said, cause it's like, if you already know, we're, we're not going to really go to war, then dude, yeah. take the job. You know what I'm saying? Take, it's like, take your dream job, dope. bro. Yeah, yeah. Take it. That's what you that, always wanted. And it's like, and, oh, cool. We figured it out. And then it's like, yeah, problem solved. I didn't have to fight against my 
I didn't have to fight against my family. Yeah. I didn't have to pretend like I, you know, am loyal to anything. I just got the job and it's all good. Yep. Now, the Man. idea that Lee just loved Virginia so much she had no choice. This is how it was depicted to me as a kid in Texas public schools, right? And it was it was framed oh, the way this was framed to me is that like this is how everybody felt, right? Nationalism yeah. was not what it is now, what it would become. People just yeah. weren't that loyal first to the US, they were loyal to their state, and that's how everybody felt. And so it was inevitable that a guy yeah. like Lee would side with Virginia. And Loyalty this is soil. not fucking true. This is hmm. simply not accurate to the way people were at the time. Hmm. Welzo puts paid to this very inaccurate view in a succinct passage from Robert E. Lee Life. The Lees, however prominent they had been in Virginia life, were mostly nationalists, federalists, and Whigs. Moreover, Virginia had not, strictly speaking, been Lee's native state for most of his life. His youth, from the time the family moved to Alexandria, had been spent within what were then the boundaries of the District of Columbia, and his professional responsibilities had scattered him for 30 years from Texas to New York. Arlington was his home, but not his property, and its facing across the Potomac River towards the capital was a constant reminder of where the Custises always saw their loyalties in other words, his family politics were nationalist. His yeah. personal politics were nationalist, and he barely fucking spent any time in goddamn Virginia. Now, so funny. An yeah. account by Edward Townsend, uh, who's the assistant adjutant to Winfield Scott and a witness to Lee's visit with the general, gives a quote by Lee that reinforces his decision was made by the financial realities of his family more than some kind of loyalty. And this is Lee talking to Scott. General, the property belonging to my children, all they possess lies in Virginia. They will be ruined if they do not go with their state. I cannot raise a hand against my children. Now, first off, as we'll cover, that's still not true. But yeah. also, if that is an accurate quote, that puts Lee's primary concern being the wealth of his kids and how it's threatened by war. Which makes the most sense. Yeah, which makes the most sense, right? And is the least defensible. Yeah, especially if you was willing to keep them slaves on on there after your own father or your own father-in-law was like, yo, you gotta let them go. Yeah. You know, he's like, nah, man, I'm, look, we gonna make sure that we gonna make sure the legacy stays on. Yeah. yeah. And it's, yeah. again, that said, property still can't explain all of this because no. Arlington is not just a valuable piece of land, it is strategically critical. From Arlington, you can shell D.C. That means the Union cannot allow Arlington to wind up in control of the Confederacy. Mm. And given just the way that things are laid out, it's also Arlington happens to be an area the Union can very easily get a lot of soldiers to faster. Lee is yeah. not an idiot on military yeah. matters. Yeah. He knows the Confederacy simply is not going to be able to protect Arlington at the yeah. early stage of the war. Um, and Lee is also aware of the North's superiority in manpower and manufacturing capacity. When yeah. the war breaks out, his first thing he does is he orders his wife to flee the property. So. He can't just be concerned about what's going to happen to Arlington and be making his decisions based on that. Otherwise, he would have stayed with the union because that's, yeah. you know, the wisest thing. In, unless the property he's most concerned about is, is slaves, right? Yes. Yes. You know, now yes. Lee also tells one of his classmates from West Point, I would give it Arlington in a moment and all I have on earth if the union could be preserved in peace, which again, means that either way, whichever of these is true, he's lying to somebody, right? Mm -hmm. If he's willing to give up Arlington to preserve the union, fear that secessionists would take it can't be the driving force behind his decision. Um, and if he's willing to give up Arlington to preserve the union, then why doesn't he, right? Like, yeah. wh why does that influence his decision yeah. at all? As I noted earlier, the most understandable conflict that Lee expressed was an unwillingness to fight against his family, 
But Mm -hmm. that's also not something he could have avoided because a lot of his family stay loyal. Mm. Now, John Fitzgerald Lee remains in service to the Union Army as a judge advocate general throughout the war. Samuel Phillips Lee, a Navy man, also stays loyal, as does Robert E. Lee's cousin, Robert Jones. His cousin, John Upshur, stays loyal, despite what he referred to as tremendous pressure from the Lee family, possibly also including Robert. So again, when you're talking about like this impossible decision not to fight your family, a bunch of his family stay loyal. And they talk about how the traitors in their family, like I have a lot of respect for John Upshur. Your whole family saying, no, we are going to fight against the Union. We have to defend Virginia sovereignty. And you say, no, I'm going to stay loyal to my oath. That's a fucking honorable decision. That's tough. Dude, you know? so he's the actual, it, that's, that's crazy. That's the fucking hero, That's right? the hero of the that's, story that's, that's like, y'all courage. are tripping. Yeah. That is moral courage, right? Wow. Um, wow. Lawrence, and I, I haven't even gotten to the end of the Lees who stay loyal, right? Dude. Lawrence Williams, one of his wife's cousins, is aide-de-camp to George McClellan, who's going to wind up running <laughs> the whole fucking show for a while. Um, it is So often, that little imaginary story of like, that I, I made up, where it's like, mm-hmm. okay, I'm going to go talk to my family to be like, look guys, I'm going to do this. Mm-hmm. They're all going, yeah, us too. A bunch of them. Yeah. yeah, they're all like, yeah, we're staying. At, what are you talking about? Of course, we're staying in yeah. the union. This is what? not just one or two. This is yeah. a significant yeah. chunk of the Lee family stays loyal. Yeah, um, they're like, we surprised you even have yeah. to ask. Like, <laughs> Yeah. Now, it, it is often noted that a lot of Lee's loyalty to his family, his unwillingness to fight them is because he has all these cousins who support his family after his his father dies. They support his mom. And he's like, these people, they kept us, you know, afloat and fed yeah. and sheltered, you know, in the most difficult part. I, I simply can't fight them. I can't betray them. My loyalty is to them, right? This is something that Lee expresses, and it is a lie, because <laughs> one of the cousins who supports his family, who who keeps it, like the cousin who like gives a huge amount of money to his mother Dang. to keep her afloat, is Philip Findall, right? Uh-huh. Uh, Philip Findall not only stays loyal, but both of his two sons fight in the Union Army against Robert E. Lee. American wow. Heritage continues, quote, With great reluctance, Smith Lee became a Confederate naval officer where he served without enthusiasm and as late in September 1863 still pitched into those responsible for getting us into this snarl, saying that both the Lees and his in-laws had pressured him with ideas that Virginia came first, he grumbled, South Carolina be hanged. How did I want to stay in the old Navy? So there's even Lees that turn traitor and are like, I can't believe I let you guys pressure me into this. This was the worst decision of my fucking life. Fuck all of you. Now- (laughs) It is true that Robert E. Lee's three sons decided to fight for the Confederacy. However, none of them stated a position on secession until after Robert E. Lee made his decision. And based on what we know of them and just what we know about his family, I don't think any of them would have chosen to fight for the Confederacy if Lee had stayed loyal. That simply Mm -hmm. wouldn't have happened. There's no way his sons do that, right? Mm -hmm. They were waiting for their dad to make a call. I don't think there's any validity in the claim that he he had to fight for the Confederacy because he couldn't fight his own sons. Like, he has a bunch of – this is the most fucked up part. It's not just a bunch of cousins. His sister, Anne Lee Marshall – lives in Baltimore, and strenuously supports the Union cause. Her husband, William Marshall, is a Republican delegate who nominates Lincoln to the presidency during that year's RNC. Robert E. Lee writes one of his last letters before the war to his sister, Anne, and he again, this is such a fucking cowardly passage. I'm going to read this last letter to his sister where he's basically saying, 
yeah, you know this thing that you know is horrible and wrong? I'm going to do it. Quote, I am grieved at my inability to see you and abhor myself more than ever for not having visited you. Now, this had been well within his power to do. He he was too busy playing footsie with Scott and Lincoln as the nation lurched towards disaster. He admits to his sister there's no necessity for Virginia to secede, but then claims, I have not been able to make up my mind to raise my hand against my relatives, my children, my home. And again, this is bullshit. And he's he's saying I couldn't raise my hand against my relatives to his sister. To my who sister. He's going to raise his hand against. Yeah. yeah. He, like, he concludes wh- this scumfuck passage. I know you will blame me, but you must think as kindly of me as you can and believe that I have endeavored to do what I thought right to show you the feeling and struggle it has cost me. I send a le- copy of my letter to General Scott, which accompanied my letter of resignation. I have no time for more. And like, man, don't even like, I don't send that letter. Like, uh-huh. just look, man, like whatever you trying to do to scrub your little conscience clean, like, keep it, bro. Turns out just, I suck, sis. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And but like, yeah, who like, it's totally like, man, you ever had somebody apologize to you and you thinking, man, who, who is this for? Mm-hmm. Like, you're not, you're not doing this for me. You know what I'm saying? This you are doing that for yourself and all of us can hear it. That's some bullshit. We can all hear his bullshit. I hope you have brain. Your brain has twisted into a pretzel enough to make you feel like you justified in what you're doing because you sure ain't do nothing to me. Yeah. 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 And for her credit and by the way, pretty based, uh, she never forgives her brother. Good. She does not respond to this letter and she never talks to him again. She dies in 1864 without attempting to resume contact. Part of this is because her son, Lewis, serves in the Union Army fighting against Robert E. Lee. Yeah, you finna murder my nephew. his fucking nephew, you know? Yeah, you finna finna murder your own nephew, my son. We're done. We're done. Of course we're done. We're done. And you had a choice. Like, that's the part that's like, I'm like really newly getting angry about. To where I was like, you had a choice. Yeah. 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 It is. It is fucking vile. Mm. And I think in the end, again, it's not purely his property that he's doing this for because he knows he's likely to lose Arlington. It's certainly Mm. not because he's unwilling to fight against his family because he definitely does that. Now, I think to an extent, the idea that he can't bear fighting against Virginia is true, but not in the way the Lost Cause biographies make it seem. Mm -hmm. Because despite never expressing particular loyalty to Virginia over the Union before, once a conflict breaks out over slavery, he is willing to stand in defense of that institution and of white supremacy, even though it meant drawing arms against his own blood relatives. And this passage from American Heritage makes it clear how central the conflict over slavery is to his reasoning. He resented the North's badgering and feared Southern impotence at the hands of its majority population. He spoke out for the Crittenden Compromise, which would have guaranteed the permanent existence of slavery, declaring it deserved the support of every patriot. Even though the nation had been designed around perpetual union, he told daughter Agnes, if the bond could only be maintained by the sword and bayonet, its existence will lose all interest to me. And the fact that secession can only be carried out by the sword and the bayonet does not seem to have occurred to him. Likewise, he's not troubled by the fact that slavery can only be kept in place by violence, which he knows because he's done that. You know? Like, it is so fucked up. Yeah. There is a piece of me, like, if I'm being self-reflective, that is 
having to continue to remind myself that to keep zooming out and saying, we're still talking about my family here. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, we're still talking about the institution of slavery. I'm getting into the story and stuff like that. And then I'm almost even more resentful to this guy that you're even making me forget that sometimes. Like, that I'm forgetting, like, like forgetting to couch this in the reality of, we're still talking about chattel slavery mm-hmm. here. Yeah. You know, yes. and it makes me even more pissed at him. On April 20th, a delegation of secessionists showed up at his home to ask Lee to travel to Richmond, where they're having their big secessionist conference. Virginia is like late in deciding this. And actually, Mm. they have one vote to secede that fails. Like, Mm. it it actually was kind of possible that like Virginia might not have have gone with the Confederacy or might have tried kind of a new. That's not what happens. But like almost Prince George. Yeah, he was almost PGC. (laughs) Yeah, you could have stayed the You could have had go go music. Mm -hmm. It could have been great. Mm -hmm. But no, you wanted smothered fried biscuits. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Sorry. He is he is offered a commission commanding Virginia state forces. Um, and again, Virginia has not decided to join the Confederacy yet, uh, but it's now that Lee is going to have to make his final call. His wife basically claims that he weeps tears of blood in this night of agony making the decision. Yet his family recall him on the day that he announces his decision to them as being calm and collected, not exhausted and distraught. They're trying um, to the tears of blood. You're trying to harken back to Jesus. Like, yeah. you, you're trying to make him Jesus, you know, in the Garden of Gethsemane here. Like, yeah, praying, you know, tears, sweating tears of blood. Like, come on, fam. Yeah. Anyway, we get one note from like a an enslaved member of the family, Jim Parks, who describes Lee as pacing backward and forward on the porch, steadying himself. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I'm sure he spends some time agonizing over this. I don't think it's for moral reasons. I think it's like what's going to wind up better for us, you know? Yeah. But you get some stuff like that here. So Mm -hmm. Lee is never able to work up the courage to admit to his old boss and mentor, Winfield Scott, that he has decided to turn traitor. The last letter mm. he sends to Scott comes after Virginia votes to secede near the end of April. And all he says in it is he's like, thanks for 25 years of of kindness and consideration. You were always had my back. Uh, you know, <laughs> great times working with you, buddy. Um, hey, and then he, he concludes. Stay it. cool. Have a great summer. <laughs> yeah. He, he concludes it with the same old lie, save in defense of my native state, I never again desire to draw my sword. And again, it was like, okay, so you're, you're, you're saying you're willing to draw your sword. You're going to fight as a traitor. You just can't even admit it to your old boss. Yeah. But you're about to do it, though. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, that's this crazy. is why I buy Simon Cameron's claim, because yes. he's so weaselly about this every time. Yes. And it's also, again, for the whole... Oh, he couldn't have betrayed Virginia. His boss, Winfield Scott, a Virginian. Yeah. <laughs> He's so actively is, prote- yeah. betraying Virginia. Yes. Yeah. So is George Thomas, Lee's colleague in the army back in Texas. Like this guy who he's potentially about to fight alongside when they're they're worried they might get attacked by secessionists. And both Mm. Winfield Scott and George Thomas suffer because of their decision to stay loyal. Scott is accused of being a free state pimp. um, And Lee does not defend him, does not defend the honor of his boss that he says has done so much to him. And George Thomas's relatives who turned traitor ask him to change his name. Like the, they, these men make real sacrifices for the union. 
Fitzhugh hmm. Lee's biography, like most laws cause biographies, likes to depict what happens with like Lee as basically guaranteed just because everyone does this, right? Everyone sides hmm. with their state. Quote, almost acknowledged that no selfish or unpatriotic motive influenced him in refusing to draw his sword against his native state, to which from early boyhood he had been taught by the wisest and the purest in the land he owed his first allegiance. Here it is also just to remark that all who resigned their commissions in service of the United States to cast their lot with their native states were influenced by the same pure and unselfish motives. You want to hear the truth? 40% of Virginia officers stayed loyal. 40? 40. And that doesn't mean 60% turned traitor because a bunch of them just chose not to fight. Like Like, like Lee's old instructor, Dennis Mann at West Point, were just like, I can't be a part of it. So like, it is not true that this was just how everyone moved. A huge number of people knew this was wrong and, and did the right thing. You know, yeah. Lee chose the coward's way out. And that is a huge and critical part of his story. I love this. Yeah. It's like, yeah, there's nothing valiant about his choices, nothing diabolical. It's coward. Yeah. Yeah. You're fucking coward. coward. Yes. And you know what? <laughs> Credit to the memory of the men who stayed loyal. That's a tough call. That's an honorable fucking move. Yes, it, um, you are definitely going against the current. And, yeah. and, you know, like part of me is like, okay, bare minimum, like, all right, freaking uh, Mike Pence had ass. You finally decided to do something right. Yeah. But on the other hand, mm-hmm. it's like, no, for real. Like that was like when it finally came down to it, you was like, nah, I can't. Yeah. I can't, fam. You, you, <laughs> you like the Mike moments, Pence joint, Sophie? I, 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 just yeah. a moment for the Mike Head Pence act. <laughs> Mike Pence had ass like, oh, nigga, the last day of yeah. the job. You're going to finally do something that's, yeah. Yeah, I, I, would, I would say the minimum is that minority of guys who just decided not to fight, right? That, yes. That's the minimum. Choosing True. to fight and stay loyal, I think, is a step beyond that. Okay, and, word. And, yeah, Respect. I'll give I'll yeah. give them that. I'll give them yeah. that. that. That's hard. Um, And you see, yeah. you see who people are in moments of crisis, and yes. Lee has made it very clear who he is. He's, yeah. He's a coward. Yeah, you saved yeah. his own ass. Like you're not, you're saving your own ass. You're saving your reputation. You're afraid mm-hmm. to fess up. You're afraid to man up. You're afraid to stand on your own square. Yeah. You, yeah, fucking coward. Now, you know who's not a coward prop? Sophie Lichterman. That's true. And the other sponsors of our podcast. Facts. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus, where every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who were they? What made them so notorious? Why did the internet choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? I'll be talking to internet historians, experts, and yes, the main characters themselves to get a fuller picture. Because I think that even outside individual experiences, a character of the day tells us something about how the internet worked at that time and how the attention economy developed into the freaky three-headed dragon it is today. Together, we probably won't be able to properly log out, but we can take a walk down scary internet memory lane and see one day a little more clearly. Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Goodbye. 
If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Rosie, somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. It feels so good. It does. And like always, we'll be here every week covering the wide world of TV, movies, comics, and geek culture. That's right. We'll be talking about Batman, heroes of that stature. And of course, we'll be inviting our friends in the industry to come geek out with us and share stories. We'll hear from TV writers, from actors, comics creators, pop culture critics, and more. Nothing is off the table because geek culture is pop culture. And we can't wait to share our love of it all with you every single week. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We are back. So, Lee resigns his commission and he travels to Richmond. Uh, and as was a pattern he for him, he never quite has the courage to admit that he's doing this to take command of the Virginia state military. He would <laughs> oh, later man. claim he was just visiting Richmond to look over family property. But by the time he arrived, the state commission had voted him commander in chief of Virginia's military forces. And he is given George Washington's sword. Now, again, this, I think, gets into one of the real reasons why he wow. does this. Remember, He's ashamed of his father, yes. and he he's obsessed with George Washington. Washington is the father he wished he'd had, and Washington's is the legacy that he wants to have for himself. I think being offered the sword symbolizes to him finally taking on that heritage yes. over the legacy of his father. And this is also if he leads secessionist forces to victory in a war of independence, then he's the George Washington of the Confederacy. And mm-hmm. I think that – which is crude personal pride and benefit is the primary motivating factor beyond everything else. White supremacy plays into it, obviously. A desire to maintain his property, sure. But at the end of the day, I want to be the man. He wants to be fucking George Washington. Yeah, I want to be the man. This is not a, obviously, this is not a universal belief among historians, but this is very much, Alan Guelzo really kind of lands on this, and I, I like his book a lot. And also, Guelzo's interesting. He got some shit when it got announced that he was writing this book because he is like a, a conservative man, like politically. Mm-hmm. He is a modern conservative today. He's mm-hmm. taken part in some like conservative, like historical conferences. Mm-hmm. One of the reasons why I think his book is valuable is because writing as a conservative, he is unsparingly pro-union and unsparingly anti, like, like he is he's yeah. very open about like Lee was a fucking traitor, right? I love it. And yeah. I, I think that's actually, it's useful because you can kind of get some of this shit across to people who um, are not like politically liberal or on the left with Guelzo's yeah. biography. Um, yeah. It's hard to, you can't, you simply can't argue with a lot of what the man says. Yeah. I love that. 
obviously it is debatable. Does he do this because he just wants to be his own? That that is an arguable point. I'm not saying yeah. that's absolute, but I I I buy Guelph's argument there. Yeah, I feel like the 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 case you've laid out to me is like I I mean I still am a firm believer that history is just us back then. So mm-hmm. if you're just thinking sure. like whoever like what would regular ass dude do, mm-hmm. and this. This yeah. is the this is what regular ass dude would do. And it's like, so that's probably what he did, you know? Yeah. And all the different layers that informed his decision. Nobody in I don't think anybody is ever single-minded and has and makes a decision, mm-hmm. you know, turning off one thing. There's multiple things at various levels of importance or whatever, right? But yeah. like when you put it all together. At the end yeah. of the day, you're making a, a particular call. And, yes. and you understand that this call, no matter how much you agonized it, you get that once you make this call, all the implications come with it. Yeah. You know? And this and, is just what it is. And, there and are, you're willing to accept it. Yeah. There were people who saw this who were close to Lee and saw how self-serving his decision was at the time, including yeah. family who stayed loyal. I'm going to quote again from American Heritage here. Upon learning that Lee had spent two days prayerfully searching for a decision, a cousin remarked acidly, I wish he had read over his commission as well as his prayers. Mm. At West Point, someone drew a picture of Lee with his head attached to the body of a louse. I feel no exalted respect for a man who takes part in a movement in which he can see nothing but anarchy and ruin, and yet that very utterance scarce passed Robert Lee's lips when he starts off with delegates to treat with traitors, was the response of Francis Blair's daughter, who had married into the Lee family. Right. Where he's like, he says that this is he doesn't support secession. It's a bad call. It's disastrous. So why in the fuck is he doing this? Yeah. Right. And the only option answer I see is personal benefit. Yeah. His own ego. Right. Dog. My yeah. another anecdote from from my grandma. She would always say, you already know what you want to do. Mm-hmm. No matter what it was, she would always be like, you already know what you want to do. Yeah. It's like, oh, you going to pray about it. Yo, you you finna pray about it. You mm-hmm. know what you want to do. Yeah, you just want you, you just want to be able to argue that God you, told you to do yes, it. Yes, exactly. She was like, yeah. you know what you want to do. She used to always yeah. say that. He know what he want to do. Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm like, damn. She yeah. now now I'm like, wow, mm-hmm. damn, you right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the Lee takes this job offered to him, commanding Virginia. And again, not he's not yet a Confederate officer, right? The Confederacy is starting to get like pulled together here, but Virginia's has not committed to be a part of it yet. So mm-hmm. he is the he is at this point the supreme commander of all of Virginia's military forces, which are dog shit at this state, right? <laughs> These are just a bunch of state militias and like yeah. Lee had had to deal with state militias while he was in the U.S. Army. They always suck ass. Like, they are incompetent. They're poor. They're actually not all that different from a lot of the militias we have today. Um, And he writes about them that way. We're like, they're not willing to fucking do shit. So this is a really stressful job, right? He's he's His early gig is like, he has to turn this into a functional military. And he's pretty good at this. Again, this is Lee's period of competence. He knows how an army is supposed to work. So he is able, he, he promotes men to some of the jobs that they don't exist in the militia that need to exist. And he starts organizing this into something that's kind of functional. Now, he is in conflict regularly with the fact that the militias are all like, there's this fever 
to join the Virginia military when this mm-hmm. all starts. Like every man who can hold a gun basically declares themselves part of Virginia's army, but they don't actually like want to be real soldiers. They just they're hoping this is going to be over quickly and they can claim a little bit of glory. So one of the first things that happens is Lee is desperately trying to turn these militias into a functional army is Stonewall Jackson takes a bunch of dudes with rifles and occupies Maryland Heights without orders. And when Lee hears this, Lee is like, fucking retreat. Don't do like they could attack us and they have an actual army. We don't yet. Like we can't don't provoke them yet. We're not ready to fight any kind of a battle. This is reasonable, right? This is not Lee is not bad at this sort of stuff. He's absolutely right. Like Jackson has put them all in a terribly dangerous position. But the fact that he is consistently like, stop rattling your saber. Stop trying to provoke the North. We have to actually have an army before we do any of this. This gets him in trouble with his newfound countrymen. Uh, As Alan Guelzo writes, complaints about Lee soon blossomed in Virginia. No one admires General Lee more than I do, wrote Albert Taylor Bledsoe to Jefferson Davis on May 10th. But I fear he is too despondent. His remarks are calculated to dispirit our people. I have heard such remarks myself and energetically dissented from them. I fear he does not know how good and how righteous our cause is. Over-exuberant Southerners began glancing over their shoulders at Lee. One of Mary Chestnut's South Carolina notables whispered that Robert E. Lee is against us, that I know. And another predicted that General Lee will surely be tried for a traitor. So because he's like... I don't care how enthusiastic you are. If we don't have like supply lines set up and like actually Mm. if we're not organized like a functional military, we're Mm -hmm. going to lose. And they're like, but our cause is righteous. What are you, a coward? (laughs) Like he's being called a traitor for being like, don't start a war when we don't have an army. You dipshits, you know? Yeah. You sound to me like, I don't know, guys. Yeah. He kind of sounds like a bitch. It's like, (laughs) no, fellas. Like, no, I'm just saying. And this is, he has found himself in a hell utterly of his own making. Yeah, like, you did not yeah. have to do this. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe this is a sign you made the wrong fucking yes. choice, Robert. <laughs> what have I got myself into? Yeah, what the fuck am I doing here? <laughs> yes. So Virginia votes to join the newly formed Confederate states pretty shortly after this point. And Lee goes, when this happens, he goes from the supreme commander of an independent Virginia to one more general under Jefferson Davis, right? And this is also the moment where he loses his house. Um, Lincoln is not stupid, and the Union waits to actually move on Virginia until they commit to the Confederate states. Because Lincoln, he's not going to like start a fight until he knows he has to. He's not a, a, a reckless man about this sort of shit. Um, but as soon as Virginia's like, yeah, we're the Confederacy now, the Union moves to occupy and seizes Arlington, right? Now, Lee is not at Arlington. He has gone down to Richmond to take this job commanding Virginia's army, and he he never returns. He never will see Arlington again. In letters, he's warning his wife as all of this is building up. He's repeatedly like, you got to get our shit and bounce, take the silverware. Like he knows what's going to happen. And he knows that the Confederate military, the Virginian military, none of it's going to be able to stop the Union from taking Arlington. Mm -hmm. Um, His wife holds out until the last minute and departs right before the property could be occupied by Union forces. And it's basically it's initially turned into like a forward operating base. Fitzhugh Lee frames this as an act of courageous sacrifice by Lee rather than the inevitable result of the Confederacy being a bunch of arrogant who launched a war they weren't ready to fight. Quote, 
In addition to the high position offered him in the United States Army, he yielded his private fortune with his beautiful home, Arlington, a home endeared by historic associations and many years of happy married life, a home of unsurpassed beauty of situation and adorned with all that men most value, now destined to be the sport of rude soldiers, its priceless relics scattered, its beautiful surroundings desecrated, its choicest attractions destroyed. And I... I think it's funny that Fitzhugh, 30 years after the war, is still sore enough to call Union soldiers rude. Like, yeah. oh, they're putting their feet up on the tables. <laughs> this is, well, it matters. Not, yeah, it's not really true. And actually, the officers who occupy Arlington are like, if Mary Lee had stayed, we'd have let her kept living at her house, right? We're not going to kick an old, she's an invalid, right? She's, yeah. she can, she's sick. She can't really move very well. Like, these guys are not going to kick a sick old woman out of her your, house, that's, right? <laughs> that's your mama, fam. Like, yeah, it, yeah. We, it's fine. Your yeah. mama's fine. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, she she bounces anyway. Um, and I, I will say, as the war goes on, these guys who are initially like, yeah, we'd have let her stay. Um, they get angrier because all of their friends start getting killed, right? <laughs> um, and this gets us to one of the funnier side stories of the Bobby Lee saga. So we're jumping ahead mm. a, a, a bit here, but by the summer of 1860, this is like a year or so into the act, actual fighting in the Civil War. Mm-hmm. Congress passes a law to let them collect taxes on real estate in Confederate areas. Basically, I know you're traitors, but we don't recognize the Confederacy as a separate state, so you still have to pay your fucking you property taxes. <laughs> and the, the intention here is to twist the screws in traitors like Lee. Yeah. Writing in Smithsonian Magazine, Robert Poole states, Appropriating the homestead was perfectly in keeping with the views of Lincoln, Secretary of War Edward M. Stanton, General William T. Sherman, and Montgomery Meigs, all of whom believed in waging total war to bring the rebellion to a speedy conclusion. Make them so sick of war that generations would pass away before they would then appeal to it, Sherman wrote. And Mary tries to pay their tax bill. She sends like a cousin who stays in the North to like pay the bill Mm -hmm. on her behalf. But Mm -hmm. county commissioners in Alexandria are like, no, you got to pay in person. Yeah, you can't do that. Um, so they seize Arlington, the government does, and puts it up for auction. Um, and if you want to know how the process of auctioning a property works, you can refer to the documentary Happy Gilmore. But sadly, yep. Robert E. Lee is dog shit at golf, so he's not able to get his property Damn, back. Man. Um, no tubs. Yeah. Rest in peace. <laughs> it all comes back to tubs. It all comes back to tubs. <laughs> yes. Um, we're going to talk more about what becomes of Arlington in part four, and we're also going to take a look at Lee's actual performances. In the war and whether or not he deserves to be remembered as the greatest general of the war. Furthermore, we'll talk about the rumors that he had an unhealthy love affair with his horse Traveler. But yes. today I really wanted to, <laughs> you have to kind of spend an hour talking about why did Lee turn traitor because yeah. there's so much disinfo about it and what yeah. we do know, what we can verify is so fucking clear. I, I feel like, yeah. I hope anyone who had any lingering doubts about that has had them yeah. uh, assuaged at this point. I mean, you add some color to like a narrative I understood, which mm-hmm. I really appreciate. I do want to go back to this, like the reality on the ground of like the Confederate states were still paying taxes. Yeah. I, it's, it's, it reminds me of like, you know, your kid being like, get out of my room. It's my room. Stay mm-hmm. out of my life. And then they slam the door and then you're like, Okay, cool. I'm just going to walk over to the router and turn off the internet because I'm out of your life, apparently. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Like, you understand (laughs) your room is attached to my house, right? And then when you come out of that room to try to go to my refrigerator, oh, I'm sorry, sweetheart. I'm out of your life. This refrigerator full of food is for people that's 
part of my life. Yeah. Right? Oh, you're going to eat it? Okay, cool. You're right. I'll get out of your life now. I still expect the trash to be emptied in the next. So you out of your fighting as you empty in the trash. Baby, you still got chores here because like, I like you. I, okay, I'm going to give you some space. I'm go ahead and give you some space. Distill my house, right? Mm-hmm. So I just think it's so funny. It's like we're seceding. Also, what's tax rate? Eight percent. Yeah, you still got to pay your taxes, guys. Still got to pay your taxes, fam. Um, now that that's definitely one of the more baller moves of the Lincoln administration. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> like, all right. Well, we simply don't care. April fifteenth, um, guys. Yeah, it's coming you up. S- you still got to pay. You still got to pay, fam. Uh huh. All right. I, Prop. Where yeah. can the people find you? Should they Man. want to do this? Find me in the hood. I'm posted. I'm just playing. Um, you can find me uh, at prophiphop.com. Hood Politics Pod. You know, we're, we really turned it up this year um, to make sure that, like, we're really giving y'all our A game. Um, hood Politics Pod is the Instagram. Prop Hip Hop mm-hmm. is my everything. Excellent. Well, everybody, this has been Behind the Bastards. If you want to get more from um, uh, us, you can check out Better Offline, our new tech-focused podcast covering the disaster that is the tech industry and how it's fucking up all of our lives with the great Ed Zitron. Um, If you want to find my novel, After the Revolution, just type that into Google with AK Press uh, or just go to whatever bookseller and type it into their thing and you can buy my book. Um, this has been a podcast. I have been Robert Evans. Come back for part four where we'll answer the question on everybody's mind. Did Bobby Lee fuck that horse? The answer will surprise us all. Behind the Bastards is a production of Cool Zone Media. For more from Cool Zone Media, visit our website, coolzonemedia.com. Or check us out on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? How did the internet or the algorithm choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. like the police knew who he was before they got here. From iHeart Podcasts. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. Is he breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. A story about money, power, and corruption. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. I'm Paul Pringle, an investigative reporter for the LA Times. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcast or wherever you get your podcasts. John Stewart is back in the host chair at The Daily Show, which means he's also back in our ears on The Daily Show Ears Edition podcast. Join late night legend John Stewart and the best news team for today's biggest headlines, exclusive extended interviews, and more. Now, this is a second term we can all get behind. Listen to The Daily Show Ears Edition on the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.